We want to welcome you home. You know, we don't want, we don't want you to just be our guest. We don't want you to be a visitor. We just want to welcome you home. Uh, here at Voice of Praise, we're so glad that you're here. And those of you that are watching by live stream or listening by Extreme Voice Radio, uh, we welcome you uh, into the house with us this morning as well. If you have your Bibles with you or your phone, whatever you use, your tablet, I want you to turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And as you... Uh, as you uh, Find that in your scripture this morning. Uh, uh, I was just curious in the room this morning. How many? How many people in the room that are over sixty this morning? Still left in the room. Okay, that's okay. How many of you are? How many? How many of you are between the ages of forty and fifty-nine? Let me see. Let's see. Okay. How many of you are, how many of you are 39 and under this morning? Some of you are lying right now. I can see that some of you are lying right now. In the house of God, you're telling lies. Hey, we, we have a great mixture of, uh, ages in the room this morning. And, uh, and, and that's typical of our church. Uh, we're so blessed to have, uh, uh, every, every, uh, age group covered. We've got some, uh, some that are older, some that are in their 90s, some that are uh, in their retirement age years, some that are middle-aged, and some that are, are just youngsters. And we've got a few in the oven even, if you know what I mean, and we're thankful for that. Titus chapter 2, I, I just was curious about your age because it may come into a little bit of, uh, may have a little relevance here in, a, in just a minute. Titus chapter 2, reading verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Wow. Think about that. That's you. That's me. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. Don't you just love that word? Don't, don't you just love that word? Have you ever noticed that? And I know most all of our little ones are out of the room right now and and, 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 uh, you know, I'm probably around Reese and River, uh, more than, than any of the, uh, and, and Letty. There's a few that I'm around more than any of uh, the other kids in the church. And, and some of our kid children are really quiet, you know, and shy, but, and then some, but I, I, I just, I just get tickled sometimes. And y'all, y'all, we're in West Virginia, so we know what tickled means. I just get tickled sometimes when, uh, when uh, Chase will look at uh, at, Ri- at River and Reese, that's that's their dad. And Chase will look at them and he'll say, "No." <laughs> you never get that kind of reaction with yes. Have you ever paid attention to that? Yes never brings that type of reaction, does it? You know, it's like when the other the other day, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, I was up at the Harley shop and, and and they brought out this new street glide and I was just there and I said, boy, that's pretty. And some of my my cohorts, my friends, they said, they said, get over and sit on that thing, preacher. See how you look on it. And, and as soon as I did, somebody took a picture of it and my wife ends up seeing it. She looks at me and says, no. And I'm. 
No. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Lord, bless the reading of your word today. Have you ever considered how a young child is tempted to do the things that we have told them it's wrong to do? Have you ever thought about that? Like, I can remember some of my experiences. My mom saying to me, don't touch that eye on that stove. It's hot. You're going to get burned. I didn't believe her. And ended up with about six rings across the palm of my hand. Don't you be hanging around, down there around the creek or near the pond. You don't get all muddy and wet. Track my house up. And the first place we'd go is the place we're told not to go. Don't you be saying those old ugly words that you heard your grandpa or your uncle or somebody saying. And the first thing that those kids, they learn to say the ugly words before they learn how to say the good words sometimes. I did. I also learned what the taste of life soap was like. That's how my, that was my mom's remedy. Let's bring it a little bit more modern. Sarah and I had a good lesson the other night. Uh, Heath and Madison gave us a lesson after service the other night, and I'll share that in, in weeks to come. You better not be texting oh so and so or watching this or watching that on your phone or being or being logged on. You better not be you better not sign up for a TikTok account. You better not sign up for for uh uh any other type of account. You better not do so. And then somebody comes along and says, Did you know what your son or your daughter do you know what they put up on? Have you ever recognized the temptation that it comes with doing something you know you shouldn't be doing? Now, Sarah and I, you know, are very active in, in the discipleship ministries of our of our denominational conference. We've been working youth camp now for a lot of years, and and we uh, we are on site assistant directors one week uh, one week out of the summer. By the way, if you would like to have something very worthwhile, something that is is going to encourage you, see us. We would like to sign you up to help work a, youth, a week of youth camp with us. You can be right there with us. But one thing, uh, in youth camp a few years ago, we made a policy, we established a policy, I don't like rules, I don't like that word rules, but we established a policy that there is to be no food upstairs in the dormitory, and no soda pop, 
to quote Pastor Ron, our camp director, because if you take that up there with you, the cockroaches is going to eat you up. Another policy is no cell phones allowed upstairs. As soon as you do that, the temptation arises. You see, you'll see kids coming through. They'll come through the hallway. They got to go up the steps. They got to come right by the off camp office door. And you'll see these bulges under their coats and over there. And, and you'll see the pocket. We got pockets on the back of the door and it has the room numbers on it. And you look up and you see room 201. There's no, there's no phones been put back in there. You know, nobody's put their phone back. And you know, they've took them upstairs to their rooms with them. And, and sometimes they've just, They've just done it because they were told they couldn't do it. You ever notice that in people? You and I are a lot the same way. You know, it's not just toddlers and adolescents that tend to defy instruction. Have you, I, some of you in this room, you've read the sign that says wet paint, but you didn't believe it. And you stuck your finger in it anyway. Some of you are smiling right now, so I know you've done that. Some of you all have seen these signs, especially if you drive, have driven over through the uh, the neighboring county, McDowell County. You've dr- saw those signs that said maximum safe speed 35 mile an hour, and you drive fit 45 or 55 just because you want to prove that sign. You can drive it. You can take those curves faster than the sign says you can. You've done that. We didn't like the government telling us to wear seat belts. So we didn't wear them. A couple of years ago, we were being told we had to wear a mask. And we didn't like that either, did we? And we didn't wear them just to prove. It wasn't necessarily a point whether we believed in them, right or wrong or anything else. We just, we just didn't wear them to prove a point that we weren't going to be told what to do. It's our nature. It's who, it's who we are. I was one of those people. I've known people that will do something simply because they've been told that it's either not advantageous to them or perhaps it's even unlawful. They do it. You see, what we, what I'm talking about here and what, what I'm sharing with you, really, what all of that is, it's the role of the flesh. Every single one of us in this room or watching or if you listen later on, every single person, every single human is made up of three parts. Uh, it's technically it's called a trichotomy, but we're made up of spirit, soul, and body. The body is the flesh. The flesh is the fallen nature of humanity. Sin abides in the flesh. It began in the Garden of Eden. We've all heard that story. Not talking about Eden, North Carolina. We got a bunch of people from down there this morning. But not Eden, North Carolina, but in the Garden of Eden. And it's evident throughout Scripture that we still witness today, even in our own lives, we still witness, we still observe and can see the war of the flesh. It happens. You can't help it. I can't help it. It occurs in our lives. But when we begin to think about that, and, and we go to Romans chapter 7, and I'm not going to read all of that. I'd like to, but I'm not going to because of time. The Apostle Paul describes 
His war in the flesh in Romans chapter 7. Here's some things that Paul points out. Paul points out, number one, he said, I don't even understand myself. I don't get myself. I don't understand myself. Then he says, I don't know. I know what I should do. He said, but then I turn around and do the opposite thing that I should be doing. Paul determines within himself is a sinful nature is what's causing him to do the things that he knows that he shouldn't. He recognizes that a war is raging between his carnality, his flesh, and his redeemed spirit. Because Paul was confident of his salvation. He was confident that he was saved. Read it there in Romans chapter 7. Believers, every believer is in an ongoing, unending battle that will exist until our sanctification, which means separation, is consummated. And that is only going to occur at one of two times, either our death or the rapture. Of the church. We're going to constantly be in this battle. Now. Paul was not experiencing some twisted theology of grace. Because if you uh, look at Romans 7. And as he identifies with the struggles of the flesh. You have to first read chapters 5 and 6 of the book of Romans. And as we go back and we read chapters 5 and 6, you understand that Paul identifies with being a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we understand what Paul is dealing with as he writes this letter is a group of people that that uh, has... The theology or the ideology, if you would, that, okay, yes, I've got saved, but there's little required of me because I'm under grace. And I'm going to delve into that a little bit farther as we go along this morning. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, the same apostle Paul wrote in that letter that we are a new creation. When we get saved, when we're being saved, when we've been born again by the Spirit, we are a new creation. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Paul answers, uh, asks a question. He said, should we go on sinning so God can show us more grace? He answers his own question. You know, that's what intelligent people do, is answer their own questions. Paul said, of course not. That's not what grace is about. That's not, that's not what the work of grace is. In Romans 6 and chapter 6, he says, we should no longer be slaves of sin. That's why I asked Pam to sing that song this morning. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I am a child of God. And then on, on down a few more verses in Romans 6 and 22, Paul says, but we have become slaves of God. So I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I have become enslaved to God's love. I have become a servant of God's love. The world, the world has known at that time, which was actually Rome in itself, Rome was well known to have that skewed perspective of what God's grace and what the doctrine of grace is about. They had twisted grace to conform to the rebellion of their flesh rather than bringing their flesh under the submission to grace. You see, that's where we err. 
We can't bring grace down to our level. We have to take our level to the level of grace. Now, they were justifying these Romans, which was the world has known in this circumstance. They were justifying their deeds, but all the time they were abusing the grace of God. They were abusing it. Have, have any of you all ever feel like you've been abused physically, emotionally? Or maybe just, you've just been used by maybe it's a coworker or something like that. Heath over here, he's a mechanic. And, and I, I used to run a shop a number of years ago myself. Have you ever, Heath, have you ever had some of those cars come in? You can tell they've been a bit abused, can't you? You know, so, some of you, some of you, you maybe you abused your four wheelers, your side by sides. You've, you've abused your old sewing machine. I know Joy's been working on a sewing machine and maybe you've got an abused sewing machine, but, 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 but you can tell when something's been, we, we all can identify with that. Sometimes these people, what they were doing in, in essence was abusing the grace of God. And you know what? Sometimes we abuse the grace of God. In fact, grace abused is probably the state of the American church. The Western church. Excuse me, the Western church if you would. You see, because we're more interested in gathering the world than reaching the world. We're, we're, we're more interested in, in, in accumulating more than we are to, to reaching the world. We, as Alicia was talking this morning in the life group that we go to, and we, uh, of all subjects to be talking about, we were talking about death this morning. That was what she brought to us, and we were discussing death from a biblical perspective. And, and but, but you know, I look around and, and, and I, I look at not, not just the world in general, but I can look at even Christians, all of us. I see a, the Christian world as a, uh, as a whole today. We're, we're, if you look at our lives and examine the way that we're living and where our attention span is and where our attention is given to and where we spend our money and what all we do, we are living to live. We're not really living to die. We may say that we're living with the expectation of heaven, but we're living like we're going to live in this world forever. When all the time, even if you're, uh, somebody, we were talking about some of our loved ones being well up in their nineties and somebody mentioned, I think the number 96 and, and, and we, sister Eunice is, is the oldest one in our congregation and she had surgery this week. She's doing really well, by the way, but sister Eunice, I think is 92, 92, but, and, and, but. The reality of it is, no matter how long we live in this life, you could top, you could get into the three digit birthdays and you still have not scratched the surface of eternity. But you look at us, the way we live, we're living to live. We're not really living to die. Stay with me now. The church is missing out by doing so. The church is missing out on her holy potential by excusing ourselves from the holiness that Christ brings. I want you to think about that. Can I don't come up with a lot of real good ones, but I think that's a pretty good one. The church is missing out on her holy potential by excusing ourselves from the holiness that Christ brings. 
What we have done as the church in America and the church in the Western world, we have spiraled into the drain of easy believism, and now we hold little regard for the work of grace. And let me tell you something. Some of you may have been gifted some great things. You may have been lefted inheritances worth millions of dollars. You could have been given new cars, new trucks. You could have been given homes. There's all, a, all kinds of things that we could have been given. You may not be given anything but a hard time. But listen to me. There is no greater gift than any that anyone can receive other than the mercy and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that was displayed on Calvary. And that is not to be Taken lightly. Uh, I told Sarah after talking with Heath and Madison the other night, we were talking about some things, and I, I said something about an Atari. And Heath and Madison, Heath Madison looks at Heath, she said, I've never heard of an Atari. What's an Atari? See, I said, and I, I got telling them about the old pawn games. Y'all remember the pawn games? And Madison looks at Heath, she said, you know what an Atari is? He said, he's always so nice. Oh, I think I've heard of it before. <laughs> so my wife defends me and she comes, she comes to my rescue. She always, she said, that's what they had before Nintendo. So this may not be so awfully relevant this morning to some, but you know, Bluefield used to have a Staples office stores. Office stores are about a thing of the past. Uh, but there was a Staples office store that's now, uh, it's a furniture store over near, uh, Sam's. And, and, and a few years ago, Staples, Staples came up with this, uh, slogan, you know, this was before the pandemic where you could get everything quick. And they came up with this little button. And, and you buy this little button and you put it on your desk and, and, and their, their sales pitch was that you can get this, any, anything you need, anything you want, you can get it from Staples. That was easy. That's all you had to do. You run out of paper. Call that Staples. was easy. You run out of pencils. Whatever you need. That was easy. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes we treat God just like the staples button. We, we, we act like grace is some celestial catch-all that will allow us to walk in presumptuous living and disobedience to only say, that's okay. God's grace is going to cover me. And what we're really saying was, that was easy. Y'all can go ahead and shout anytime. Grace isn't given so that we may punch our neighbor in the nose and then cry out, Forgive me, Jesus, and say, that was easy. Hello? 
the more we push the button. That was easy. The easier it gets to push the button. Amen? You see, personal responsibility has a place in Christianity. Now I'm not I'm not trying to drag us back into the some of the legalism that we experience in days gone by and, and I I'm not I'm not trying to bring us to a narrow mindedness to say that the Bible is just a bunch of rules and regulations that's not what I'm trying to bring us to at all but what I do want it to bring us to is an awareness of the great gift of God's grace and we have a personal responsibility to honor that grace we used to use a word we used to call it consequence But now we are content with repeatedly making confession over the same thing time and time again. And we say, that was easy. Wow. You see, but God's grace is a is a valuable commodity to us because God's grace enables spiritual growth and maturity in our lives. God's grace takes us into more intimate relationship with Him. When we say that God buries the old man and He gives us a new nature, which is very true, but we still engage in all of our old sins and all the, uh, 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 and, or we use some creativity and sometimes we come up with new ones. Uh, for most of us, the church are, uh, we, we really miss out on finding the new man. And that new man is, comes only through Christ Jesus. It's not about doing. It's about becoming more intense in our relationship with Jesus. It's about grabbing hold of, yes, more grace, but not abusing the grace that is available. In a recent social media meme, our I read uh, this this week, I read this statement. It says, when grace becomes an excuse to live in sin, and you, you are no longer under grace, but you are under deception. That was easy. Now, there is a threefold purpose of grace. The threefold purpose of grace is this. And I borrowed these, I derived these from a blog written by Dr. one of our pastor or, or ministers, Dr. Brenda Grasty, uh, down in North Carolina. Threefold purpose of grace. The first purpose of grace is prevenient grace. Prevenient grace is grace that is operating even when we're unaware. Do you know even before you got saved, or if you're in this room this morning and you've never been saved, you know there's prevenient grace at work in your life right now. That there was great, that God's grace. It, it, well, I wasn't saved. I wouldn't been saved if I'd have, if I'd have died and lost and undone. If I had never given, submitted my life to Jesus Christ, no, I would not have been saved. But there was prevenient. There was there was saving saving or sparing grace. Let me say it that way. There was sparing grace at work in my life, even when I was not honoring God with giving Him my heart. And you had the same thing working. If you're in this room right now and you're not, and you're unsaved, there's provenient grace working in your life. That's why you're here this morning. And then the second thing we find is 
justifying grace. That's a, the grace that comes when we, we ask the Lord Jesus Christ into our heart. It's the grace work that restores us to God. It's the work of justification that occurs when our fleshly will is surrendered to the abiding Holy Spirit that is inherited by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So you, we, we, we are spared through prevenient grace, but we're saved through justifying grace. And that's only going to come through Jesus Christ. None of us can do good enough to inherit heaven. None of us could do good enough to stand in the presence of the Father. But there was one who was good. And his name is Jesus. And we're about to celebrate. If you would, it sounds a little bit morbid that you celebrate somebody being crucified. But we do celebrate it. And we're about to celebrate his His giving of his body being beaten. And his body being nailed to a cross. And him being falsely accused. And him being put to death to only rise in three days. And he is God now sitting at the right hand of the Father there to make intercession for us. Listen, that is the saving, justifying grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we must receive that. And then thirdly, there is the sanctifying grace. The sanctifying grace of God is continually bringing us into a more godly lifestyle. A consecrated lifestyle, if you would. Let me tell you something. I haven't arrived yet. I want you all to know that. I haven't arrived yet. Listen, I drive 77 every single day practically of my life. I drive 81 probably half the days of my life. I haven't arrived yet. And I'm not talking about at my destination. This morning, my wife and I coming through East River Tunnel. This is a little Saturday. This is before we do our Sunday morning drive time. Here's Sarah. Come on! Can't you run more than 40 miles an hour? And she's not even driving. She's just riding. She's co-piloting. I'm not saying I've arrived. I, I don't want to imply that at all. I'm not saying that I'm a perfect man. I, I'm not trying to imply that at all. But what I'm telling you this is, I, but I look back over my life and I'd say this giving glory and honor and praise to God because it's not about me. But over, it, over 30, uh, 33, 34 years now, I look back over my life and I can see that I have matured because there was things that I was fully about when I was younger in the Lord that I'm now not as foolish about. But even at that, I have still have to keep my guard up. I have to keep my eyes and my ears open. And I have to be aware because the enemy would slip in even if I now, if I would let him. I don't have this thing wrapped up. I don't have this thing secured by any means. I still need the grace of God to help me live the life that he's called me to live and be a witness to him in this life that we go to. Let Listen to me. You can't be any more saved than being saved. I'm not telling you that I'm more saved than somebody else. I'm not telling you I'm more saved than I was 34 years ago. But I can tell you this. My life has hopefully, and I believe it has, has become more into alignment with what God would
would have me to be and what God would have me to be doing. And that has all come through the work of sanctifying grace. When we get saved, Jesus' holiness becomes our holiness. We grow in holiness through the means of personal devotions like prayer and reading the word. The church. And here's another key element. We grow in holiness by learning from our mistakes. Now, when you're doing something repeatedly over and over and over, let me tell you something. It's no longer a mistake. It's a lifestyle. There's a difference. But, but when, when we make mistakes, when we make errors in judgment, when, when maybe something happens, when maybe we said that something that we shouldn't have said, maybe, I, I don't, I, I'll, I'll refrain from the name because I actually was married into the family at one time. But I'll tell you a story about a, uh, one of our, uh, I don't know that you would call him one of our pioneer preachers in the Pentecostal Holiness Church, but he was one of the early preachers. And, and, uh, I wasn't there, so I didn't see this firsthand, but I've heard the report from several different people that were there and, and the reports all, they all collaborate. They coincide. Said that the old preacher was sitting up on his front porch and there was a man that had got mad at him over something he preached. This preacher was a little stout looking guy. I mean, he was, he was tall, you know, not, not much taller than me, but a little bit taller than me. But, yeah, I mean, he, he looked like a fullback, you know. I mean, he, he looked like a Virginia Tech fullback, not a West Virginia fullback. Yeah. Uh, and this guy goes up and jumps on that preacher. Gets up, all up in his face, jumps on him. The preacher said, you need to... You need to be on your way. You need to go on. The man was just persistent. The preacher stands to his feet. He hauls off. And he punches that guy right in the mouth. Knocks him out over the banisters. Over in the front yard. You heard this story before? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll give you privilege information. John's one of our pastors. Knocked the man out in the yard. Said he looked over the banister rail and said, Bless God, now look what you've made me go on and do. I'm going to have to repent. Now I didn't hear any more stories of that preacher knocking somebody off the porch out in the yard. Thank God. But here's the thing about it. If we're doing something over and over, it's not a mistake. It's a lifestyle. And, and, and all of us probably have, I don't care how long we've been serving the Lord, all of us probably have something that we can adjust to, to make our, to bring ourselves in a more pleasing position with the Lord, a more honorable position. But listen, we can learn from our mistakes. Mistakes can be crutches. They can be crutches. You know, and, and I, I've, I've been blessed. I've never broken a bone. I've never sprained an ankle. I've never had to walk on crutches, mandatory, but I, I, I've tried them out before and I want you to know, I, I, it didn't take me long to figure out those things are not very comfortable at all. 
And those things are hard to negotiate. When you're on crutches, you, you can't really do what you want to do. And you can't be who you want to be. You can't really be who you are. Listen, mistakes can become crutches to us. Or they can serve as lessons. You see, lessons will make us strong. While crutches will make us weak. Now, your arm, you may gain some arm strength, some shoulder strength from being on crutches. But if you stay on crutches too long, your, your, your leg is just going to grow weaker and weaker. So lessons make us strong. Crutches will keep us weak. So we need to allow that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to do His work in our lives. And we consecrate ourselves unto Him. I can promise you. I can promise you. Even though it may seem a bit unpleasant. If you will submit yourself to God, you will increase in grace. If you submit yourself to the Word, if you submit yourself in prayer, if you submit yourself to assembling with the saints of God, if you will, if you will dedicate yourself, your thoughts and your intentions, and and I realize, yes, we all have life, we all are doing life together, but 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 if we will give ourselves over to the Lord, I promise you that you'll increase in grace. Let me tell you another preacher story. I shared this not long ago, but I'll share it again today a preacher not too far from here a man walks in his church walks right up in front of him right in his face that preacher just goes to tears not because he was frightful but because his heart was broken. That individual that did that at a later time, not too much later from what I understand, but at a later time is in a severe car accident and he's up in Charleston Hospital and they're not expecting him to live. That same preacher that he spat in his face says I gotta go see him and he couldn't drive up there so he had somebody else to drive him that preacher went in and literally crawled up and laid his body across that man's body the man that was at the point of death was that a proper thing to do if you ask the doctors it probably wasn't but he, he laid his body, he, he spread his body across the man that had been in that rag. And he begins to pray, please God, please save him. Please forgive him, Lord. Please give him one more chance, Jesus. Please, Lord, don't let him die. Don't let him go to hell. Don't let him burn in hell for eternity. The doctor said he wasn't going to make it. But within a day or so, that man was coming out of ICU. And I don't give glory to a man. That's not my point. But it did take a man that was willing to operate in grace. To 
break the bonds of death and eternity in hell over that man's life. See, God wants to manifest His grace in our life, but He doesn't want us to abuse it. He wants us to draw. Listen, if you haven't caught on to this, this is a message about sanctification and consecration. And once you surrender your all in all to the Lord, you give it to Him, then you know what happens? You'll look back and you'll say, That was easy. It's not hard to serve Jesus. It's not always convenient. But it's not hard to serve Him. It's not hard to model your life after Scripture. Yes, it may take some sacrifice. But let me tell you, anything you sacrifice for the Lord, anything that you sacrifice for Him, He's going to give you something greater back in its place. Pam, if y'all go ahead and start singing softly for me, please. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a minute. I want to ask you a question. If you're in this room this morning and you've never been saved, I'm not embarrassing you, nor do I condemn you. I just want you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to know that heaven is going to be your home. So if you're in this room this morning and you're unsaved or if you've you drifted far away from God without any embarrassment, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I just want you to slip up your hand. I'm the only one looking around. Just say, pray for me, preacher. Anybody in this room.